This podcast may contain strong language, references of a sexual nature, and bad advice. When life gets you down, your car just won't start. Agony R. It's time for Agony R. If you've reached a dead end, you're not sure what to do. Agony R. Well, Agony R is for you. At times life is grand, you've got the world in your hands. Then somehow you drop that ball. Drop that ball. Instead of watching it fall, give Agony R a call. Welcome back to Agony Art, the Agony Art podcast in which we try to solve your problems using examples from the great art of our age. And when we catastrophically, inevitably fail to solve any of your problems, at least you'll be left with a nice watching, reading and listening list to enjoy in your spare time. I am Liam, head of music here at Agony Art HQ. That was awful. Head of music? (laughs) Were you at school? (laughs) Fuck off. Head of the music department. And you're late for your lesson. (laughs) (laughs) All right, what would you call me, Carl? Um, Majestic music mogul. Mm. You can't have that because I've got mogul for you. All right, majestic music maestro. (laughs) Mafioso. Mafioso. Yeah. Uh, All right. I am Liam, the resident music maestro here at Agony Art HQ. I am joined today, as always, by our literary luminary, Aaron. Nice. Literary luminary. And our movie mogul, Carl. I um, have seen um, an Instagram biography where someone refers to themselves as a mogul. And I was like, you can't call yourself a mogul, can you? (laughs) It's all right if someone calls you a mogul. I don't really know what a mogul is. I just Googled it. (laughs) Did you? It's uh, someone who's very important in (laughs) film or TV or something. So calling yourself a mogul is even worse. An important or powerful person, especially in the film or media industry. Yeah, I'm not for calling yourself a mogul. Thank you for calling me a mogul. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of thing you can be called by other people, but Mm. if you call yourself it, nah. Nah, Nah, mate. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) Right out. (laughs) <laughs> it's the end of you and me. Go! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so before we begin today, I would like to make it crystal clear so there is not a shadow of a doubt. There's a lot of Halloween-y things here, Liam. That was last week, and Aaron what, did it. Crystal clear? Crystal balls. And... Yeah, this is the Guy Fawkes special now. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to make it as clear as a firework in the sky. <laughs> explosive as a... <laughs> Before we start, I'd like to make it crystal clear that we are not here to solve anybody's serious life problems. Anyone who's listened to us for any amount of time will know that. But just in case you are a new listener, we are not qualified in any way whatsoever to help. And if you do need genuine help, you can go to our website where we've listed some links for people you can turn to. That's agonyartpodcast.com. So let's move on with the show. And problem one for the day. Every time there's a World Cup or a Euros tournament, I become so convinced that football is coming home that when it doesn't, the disappointment is crushing and I'm left heartbroken for about a week afterwards. How can I work on managing my expectations a bit better in future? So we've not had one, but we've had two consecutive tournaments recently when things looked so promising, didn't they? And our hopes were dashed on penalties right at the last minute. (laughs) How did you two cope? Disappointed, obviously, to get so far. I'm not one to, like, be depressed about it for weeks on end. No. No. 
Because <laughs> the problem is, you have all that build-up, hmm. and I always think the evening after you watch that last match where you get knocked out, and I imagine it's the same for any team, like you watch the last match where you get knocked out and you're sad for that evening. But I always think, what would my life have been like if we'd have won? Hmm. Pretty much the same. Yeah. <laughs> Just like you would be happy aff- for that evening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't affect your life in any meaningful way, does it? So, yeah. and also, we got, a, I think you need to enjoy the ride as well. Like, um, I think um, FA's business plan for the next like three tournaments was top four, second, and then win. So, we're actually on course to win mm. the next one. If they're playing, you're saying it's a fixed card. <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, though, competitive sport by definition is very, unless it's really, really boring, it's very rare that one team is going to win every single game they play. So that makes tournaments really difficult, doesn't it? So it's not, I think, you know, you need to look at the positives, don't you, rather than the isolated losses. It's the best we've done for 60 years. Not mm. bad. Who is the most disappointed that it's not coming home? What name should we give our pickle? Kevin Keegan. <laughs> All right, Kevin, Kevin. Keegan. <laughs> I don't know why, okay. but yeah, he's probably disappointed. So, my, I, I think what you need to do is not enjoy the ride, enjoy the tournament, but don't build your life around it so that you're so heartbroken every time. Like, be like, oh, it's a shame, but then move on, look forward to the next one. So, I think that one of the best characters in movie history about just getting on with things is Wally from. Two thousand Not that Wally. <laughs> um, the waste allocation load lift earth glass. Uh, Wally is what I mean. Eva. Directive. <laughs> so, fun fact. Did you know the guy who did the sound effects for Wally is the same guy who did uh, the sound effects for the original Star Wars? I ben Burt. Didn't. Mm. So, Wally and R2-D2, distant cousins. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they could be set in the same universe now. You never know. <laughs> mm. um, so, Wally came out in 2008. It's directed by Andrew Stanton. Um, it's set at 29th century Earth, and the planet is covered in waste and basically abandoned because we've shit on our planet so much we can't live there anymore. <laughs> we've shit on it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Um, Wally, the waste allocation load lifter Earth class, is seemingly the only thing functional, and he spends his days packing rubbish up into squares and neatly placing them somewhere, trying to clean the planet up on his own. You see giant ones around that are just no longer working. Wally's the only one going. There's a cockroach friend, like his little Disney mm. pal. Um, and he is a robot, but, you know, we kind of see that he's developed feelings, you know. He's he's lonely, for sure. Um, Watches that film every day, doesn't he? What? Yeah. I think it's a made-up film, Football if Factory. I remember rightly. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Football factory. <laughs> Danny Dyer. I wish I had a firm. <laughs> I wish the firms were still here. <laughs> Isn't it Hello Dolly? Maybe it's not. I can't, I've, I'm sure I read it was made up somewhere, but it might not be. I'm happily be corrected. I should have looked it up. I'm sorry. I didn't worry <laughs> this uh, is why Liam does that extra prep time. <laughs> he gets the details sorted. <laughs> Um, so he gets up every day, he leaves his little house and takes on the mammoth task of clearing the world's rubbish on his own. And he he, will, he, he, kind of, he must know that it's impossible for him to do it. Well, you know, what's his battery life? Who knows? He, he could do it for a million years maybe. But it's an endless, pointless task, but he keeps on going. A little bit like sporting England. 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> the result is never going to be what we want, but we keep supporting anyway. Um, after his day's work, he goes home and he collects little special things in his little house, which is nice to kind of keep him going. He watches the film, which Liam said is Hello Dolly. I'm not sure. It might be. Um, <laughs> Sounds like bullshit. <laughs> and his favourite part of it is where um, the man and the woman are dancing. They hold hands. And while he puts his little hands oh, together. Oh, yeah. And you feel heartbroken for him that he's all alone. All while he's dreaming of is having someone to hold hands with. It's not, not not a big dream, is it? Brilliant thing about the first half of Wally is there's basically no lines. Yeah. No lines spoken for the whole yeah. like first half of the it's film. It's such a it? wonderful film. It's amazing, yeah. yeah. Um, what happens then? Eve comes to work, or Eva, as Wally says. And she's a earth um sorry, she's an extraterrestrial vegetation evaluator. Eve, and uh, Wally finds love finally, although she tries to blast him and destroy him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, Wally's hopes come true. You know, he keeps on going, and eventually it all comes good. And eventually it may do for England, hopefully in your lifetime. So just keep going, okay? That was a stretch of Liam proportions, <laughs> and you actually pulled it off. Oh, that was a brilliant stretch. I'm well always done. pulling it off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a master of pulling it off. Um, the biggest irony of Wally is that um, it's a real a fuck you to big corporations and what you're going to do to the planet. Because by and large, is like they own everything. By and large, mm. is by and large that. And it's made by Disney. And it's now made by Disney. <laughs> and now own everything. So yeah. we have a, a very short and quick oh, quiz, asshole. Oh, nice. Um, what do Disney own? And so I'm going to name some brands or companies, and you say if they own them or not. Okay. okay. Yeah. So um, we'll buzz in, Aaron. Buzzer. Liam? Wally. Oh, I should have done a Wally <laughs> thing. Wally, Wally and Eva. <laughs> All right, yeah. Go on, yeah. Uh, Eva. <laughs> we'll start on an easy one. Marvel. Yes. Oh, oh Wally. Oh, fuck. Eva. <laughs> <laughs> that, Marvel is owned by Disney. Yes, absolutely. Okay, one nil to Liam. Fox. Eva. Aaron? Yeah. Yep. Sony. Eva. Aaron? No. Oh, I, sh- I shouldn't buzz in when I think the answer's no. I, I should. No, I definitely should. <laughs> Sky. Wally. Liam. No. Yes. What? 3 1. Did you know really? What? B Sky B? Yeah, it's apparently on the infographic I looked at. Fuck me. Part of Fox. Me, World. fuck me. B Sky B. <laughs> 3 1, Aaron. Oh, no. Just, yeah, 3 1. Uh, National Geographic. Boop. No, Eva. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, why have I got two buzzers? Um, yes. Yes, I do. 4 1. Nickelodeon. Wally. Eva. Oh. Give it to Liam. No. No. 4 2. Very good. History Channel. Eva. Yes. Yes. I've just realised what this is. It's a penalty shootout. There's <laughs> <laughs> just as much uh, chance of winning as yeah. a penalty shootout. <laughs> you might as well just take a shot. Uh, BT. Wally. Liam. No. No, they don't. But they do own BT Sport. Oh, yeah. five three, ESPN. Eva, what? yes, yep, six three. ABC. Wally, no, yes, seven three. <laughs> the Muppets. What well, do I get the point? Because he got it Wally. wrong. Wally, the Muppets is definitely owned by Disney. Yeah, correct. Yeah, because they've got rides and everything. Mm. But well, we'll go on to them. But uh, yeah, not all of their rides have been owned by them. Mm. But then they eventually just buy it up they anyway. Do, don't they? I don't know for. A long, long time, they didn't own Pixar. They were just producing yeah. films for Disney. Then they eventually thought, you know, they started 
getting uppity about the merchandise income, saying, like, why are you getting all your merchandise income? And it's like, all right, fuck you, yeah, we'll buy you. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically just like Facebook and mm. any other huge evil company. <laughs> You're becoming competition to us. So we're either going to destroy you or buy you. <laughs> Would you like $4 billion? Yeah. Um, Lucasfilm. Wally. Oh, Eva, fuck off. Yes. Yeah, 6-5, coming back. Kiss FM. Wally. Eva. No. Yes. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Seven five. <laughs> Playboy. Wally. No way. Are you gonna say yes? <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> Pixar are shortly going to make Hugh Hefner's life story into a film. <laughs> but you could believe it, couldn't you? It's the way we both hesitated. Like, <laughs> really? No. No. Sixties. <laughs> He would make a good Pixar film, though, wouldn't he? He could have a little bunny sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Touchstone Pictures. Eva, yes. Yep. And Miramax. Wiley. Yep. No. Yes. Oh. Bloody hell. 86. So, loads of well-known brands Disney own, so they yeah. are actually by and large. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I'm going to agree with you, Carl, completely. Wally. Your point being, life goes on and you just have to get over that disappointment and move on to the next uh, tournament or thing to hope for, basically. Um, just like Wally did. Just keep plugging away at life until something good comes along. And to prove it, that life does go on and that these disappointments aren't you know, life-crutching in the grand scheme of things, I'm going to give you some of the biggest disappointments in book-to-film adaptations. And life went on after each of these. The first one is fairly fresh in the memory because it was a big on-screen disappointment. But it wasn't book to film, it was book to series. Game of Thrones. Books by George R. R. Martin. Show by David Benioff and, Weiss and Weiss, Benioff, yeah, yeah. on uh, HBO. It wasn't a disappointment at first, was it? Exactly. It, was really it only really turned into a disappointment when it overtook the source mm. material. Yeah. And even then, I still quite liked it. Like, they weren't doing a terrible job. No. I didn't it, think. It, it went downhill, but not dramatically until the yeah. last series. Yeah. And then in the last series is when it became a really big disappointment. We had faith in the writers when they left their source material because of how well they'd done up to that point. And I saw a documentary about how they got it, and they were in a conversation. They were like nobodies. They hadn't produced a big show like that before. But they had a conversation with um, George R. R. Martin where they gave their theories of how it was going to end. And he was so impressed with how right they'd got it. That he was like, yeah, you can make the series. Apparently, that's how they got it. The and funny thing is, um, they just before the last series, they got hired to make a Star Wars trilogy. Mm. And then the last series came out and they were like, actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um so yeah, everyone had faith in them because of how well they'd done and then they just seemed to shit themselves with their trousers on. <laughs> in Series 8, they just completely fucked it. They just went, we can't be asked with this anymore. They had two years, they made an eight-episode series when all the other series had been 10 or 13 or something. Do you think they looked at, they wanted to make it, they, like, they had to make it a surprise or a shock or they, they didn't know how to deliver... Or what the audience wanted anymore, did they? No. Because you can't end it in a nice way. You can't end it where it actually all ties up neatly. It has to be, wow. Yeah. And they just fucking blew their load. <laughs> blew their load. <laughs> <laughs> all over their own show. 
So they didn't they, even clean it up. Well, they the shitty trousers. Yeah. <laughs> what a mess. Um, and as I say, life went on. It's one of the biggest disappointments in TV, but here we are today still watching TV. <laughs> so it hasn't turned us off TV. Have, have you seen the trailer to the House of Dragon? I haven't. It looks fucking good. Does it? And they've got nothing to do with it, have they? So No. <laughs> it should be a little bit better. Other examples, The Lovely Bones, which is a book by Alice Siebold. Susie Salmon is the main character. Is it? I've seen the film. Oh. And I read the book. Oh, Did you like the film? The book. It's all right. It's a murder mystery narrated by the victim, who was a teenage girl who was Susie killed Salmon. by... <laughs> Susie Salmon. Who was... Uh... Is she a salmon? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember um I'm a little yellow fish in a deep blue sea? What's That's from that? this film. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna find out who murdered me. <laughs> uh hugely popular book. The film only has a thirty per thirty two percent critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. My wife was disappointed with it. She liked the book. I hated the book. There's a weird bit at the end where she possesses the body of her friend to have sex with someone. That is weird. Maybe she didn't like it. Maybe I'm making it up. (laughs) No, it's hugely popular. And people that's why people were so disappointed with the film, because it didn't meet up to their expectations. I haven't seen the film, but I've read the book. And because I take so long to read books, the ending just pissed me off so much. (laughs) I was like, this is so fucking shit. Anyway, Scarlet Letter which is a book by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Very old book. Mm. Made into a film in 1995 starring Demi Moore and Gary Oldman. Not Gary Newman. Gary is, there Oldman. A, is there an even older film as well? Is that not yeah, Easy it's been A's adapted a few times. Yeah. yeah, Easy A is like loosely yeah. related to it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, which is a great film. Very great film. Spelling but... in the peas. <laughs> so that's a... <laughs> At school she gets called something and she says, I can't say it in front of her little brother. And oh, yeah. like, it's just Danny Tucci, her dad and the mum, they go, spill it in the peace. <laughs> Me and my wife do that all the time. Quote from The Independent on Sunday about that 1995 film adaptation. Hawthorne's moral seriousness gets lost in a sea of slush. So people still like to imagine what good ap- adaptations of those books would look like. And in fact... As you said, Carl, some of them have been readapted into more successful films like Easy A. So why don't you just spend your time during these disappointments, Kevin, Kevin Keegan, <laughs> imagining what it would be like for England to lift a major trophy? Because that is where the fun lies in these things. As we said right at the beginning, the fun lies in the hoping, the build-up. So just hope for the next one. And if that didn't make you feel better, there's one more example that I've got that is an example of why you should hope for the next time because the book series Dune by Frank Herbert is a good example of... just downloaded these on Audible to listen to, yeah. Well, there's no spoilers, don't worry, because I haven't even read them. I want to see the film, though. The 1984 film adaptation didn't really go down very well with critics it's only got a 48% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes but if fans were hoping for the next good adaptation their hopes were rewarded in 2000 when a mini series was made on the sci-fi channel which was apparently really good and there's another film adaptation out right now it's probably not out now 
be <laughs> when out. this episode is yeah. aired. End of October, it's, yeah. It was out recently. Just wait for it on Blu-ray now or on uh, streaming services. And apparently on that one, uh, Denny Villeneuve, the director, spent 11 months creating the space worm. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I usually have... <laughs> if I have a big meal, it will take... <laughs> A few hours and a, co- a coffee, like a strong coffee, and then I'll create you a space worm. <laughs> Eleven months. He was stewing that one. Anyway. <laughs> that must have been a fucking bad space worm in the end. Uh, so just like Dune fans, you could move on from each disappointment by just looking forward to the next try, because... Unlike Dune fans, they had to wait from 1984 to 2000 for the next good adaptation. But for England to win a major trophy in football, you really only have to wait two years for the next try. Mm, It's true. And in fact, this year, I can say that confidently this time because I know this episode's going out this year. (laughs) This year, you only have to wait one year between those two major trophies because we had an unusual year. Mm, That's true. I started thinking about what we can learn from history here. That's a different podcast. <laughs> it's time for history art. No, <laughs> um, well, I was thinking about it and I was thinking, well, the first time Free Lines was released in 96, you know, England was ablaze with anticipation. Everyone thought, you know, we're hosting the Euros. Football is quite literally coming home, but then it's going to metaphorically come home at the end of it as well. We should have said it, it should stay home. Yeah, it's it stay at home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we had a world-class team, but we could only make it to the semi-final. We lost on penalties. So how did we manage our expectations back then? Well, the answer is we didn't really. We first, did the song again. The first later. line <laughs> of the 98 recording of Free Lions is, we still believe. <laughs> <laughs> we still believe it's coming home. Uh, And it was unapologetic in its hopefulness. And, of course, we inevitably lost in the round of 16. But the telling thing here, if you look at the chart positions for Free Lions over the years since, is you can see a pretty clear pattern. Every World Cup year, it comes back into the charts. So I thought this might be a good opportunity. I thought you were going to say, like Carl's thing, where it's England are slowly progressing up the (laughs) table of the um, (laughs) tournaments that that song was slowly progressing upwards. But then I thought, actually, it probably went to number one in 96 <laughs> and 98. It's probably regressing, yeah. yeah. So it annoys me that um, David Baddiel is probably making a lot of money every two years off of that. Well, yeah, fuck David Baddiel. <laughs> let's find out exactly how much money he's making because I thought it might be a good opportunity to play, take a leaf out of Carl's book and play a game of higher or lower. So Don't you mean a game of oh, quiz asshole? <laughs> if you like. <laughs> So, so the initial release in 96 reached number one, but that wasn't a World Cup year. So, yeah. So the next World Cup year was 98. So from number one, do you think 98 was higher or lower? Oh, in the chart? Yeah. So when we say higher in the chart, are we saying a lower number? Or... <laughs> uh, so that's the way charts work. Can be higher than number one? <laughs> right, so if you... Uh, it was number one, uh, number one in 96. Yeah. So so if you... Can I say same? If you want to say the same, I'll let you, because it's a bit unfair if I don't. Same. <laughs> Let's give away the answer there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit unfair if I don't, because then you'll get it wrong. 
Uh, yeah, all right, yeah. Right, well done, Carl. So he's definitely loyal in now. <laughs> Carl gets a point. Aaron, lower, four years later in 2002. Lower in the chart. You think it was lower than number one. You can say same if you want. It's a bit unfair if I don't oh. let you. Just let Carl. <laughs> I'm going to say lower. Uh, yeah, you're right. It was number 16 in 2002. So oh, that's one, one. Now the game's on. Yeah. So Carl, hmm. 2006. Do you think it was higher or lower than number 16? Let's see year the song was that um, Embrace one, which is shit. So I'm going to say higher. You are right. Number nine in 2006. So the next year was 2010. Higher or lower than number nine, Aaron? And a deck on the ball year. Is it? Mm, How do you have an <laughs> encyclopedic knowledge of the official football songs for England in the World Cup? <laughs> Especially since... <laughs> We played a game where we had to name football songs and we ran out pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's been studying, in, studying them in the he meantime. Might come up again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew this Next time we play that game, I'm going to fucking win it. <laughs> uh, I would say lower. You are right to go lower. Oh. It was number 10. Oh! <laughs> so, Carl. Mm-hmm. 2014, do you think it was higher or lower than number 10? Shakira Waka Waka. <laughs> no, that was 2010 actually. Uh, what's South Africa? That was 2010, wasn't it? Yeah, don't remember. Higher. You are incorrect, Carl. Oh. Number 27. Ooh, we didn't believe that year, did we? Which brings us <laughs> to 2018. Higher or lower than number 27? Higher. Number one in 2018. What? <laughs> what? Where we when we started believing again, Carl. Yeah. So Aaron, Aaron's winning on three two. Uh, but Carl, I'll give you, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> if you can correctly guess <laughs> where it's going to be in 2022, <laughs> I'll give you a bonus round on yeah. 2021. Same number one. You think it's same number one? No, it's number four. Oh. Aaron wins. I thought it had got to number one again. Yeah, I did as well. <laughs> Don't know. Apparently, we were less bothered about reaching the final than we were about reaching the semi-final of the World yeah. Cup. <laughs> good one, Liam. <laughs> yeah, good game. And what was the point of that? Well, we are a nation of optimists. We cannot help ourselves getting excited about England winning the World Cup except every four year years. Is, except the year is number 27. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Except that one, yeah. Where we were a little bit excited. Yeah, just yeah. Not, not top 10 excited. Well, like, getting into the top 40 is hard work. So yeah. 27 is pretty good in that regard. Um, and yeah, even though history tells us it's not going to happen... We every single year, every single World Cup we get really excited and everyone buys that record or whatever you do these days. So how much money it. did David Biddle make? Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> quite a lot. I thought you said you could tell us. <laughs> so here's my advice: just embrace it, maybe, but don't listen to the embrace song. Um, maybe get together with some friends and get excited about it together. Watch the tournament, you know, and just try not to be too disappointed when we inevitably lose because we probably will. <laughs> inevitably. <laughs> Jeez. But like I said earlier, you know, competitive sport, it wouldn't be interesting if one team won all their games all the time. It'd be quite interesting if England won it once though, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're pretty agreed though, aren't we? We've said, you know, hang in there. Find a way to temper that disappointment, yeah. basically. Disappointment happens, but... Keep at it, and one day you might be happy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> a ranger came arranging to Old Town one fine day. The townsfolk came to meet him. They heard what he had to say. He said, I hear this town's got problems, some outlaws on the run. 
And I've come to solve these problems With my problem gun Word soon got to these outlaws About a ranger new in town And they soon came out of hiding To put this ranger down They laughed when they first saw him Beneath the high noon sun But he soon stopped them from laughing With his problem gun Problem gun Problem gun Yeah, the ranger solved their problems With his problem gun Let's move on to problem two My daughter turns 18 next week and she's desperate to get a tattoo. I hate tattoos and I've been telling her how terrible it's going to look and that she'll regret it for the rest of her life, but she just won't listen. How can I stop her making such a huge mistake? So I've never had a tattoo. Um, My granddad got a few when he was in the army and it was one of his regrets. He always used to say something along the lines of, yeah, you think it looks great at the time, but look how stupid it looks now and then show me his arm. What was it? Uh, It was some sort of bird. I can't remember exactly what. But I know you two both have tattoos. So do you ever worry about regrets? Not really. Aaron's always said he wants to be covered in them, haven't you? Aaron? Mm, I would love to be. But what, my like wife face doesn't. and everything? Not face, but if I was famous or independently wealthy and didn't need a job, <laughs> I would have them all over my hands. I think hand tattoos are great, can be great. Uh, some of them can be shit. <laughs> a lot of tattoos can be shit. <laughs> um, what I always think, though, when people talk about you'll regret it when you're 80... Or think how terrible that will look when you're 80. I think I'm not exactly, when I'm 80, going to be looking in the mirror going, I would be fit as fuck (laughs) if it wasn't for those tattoos. Also, look at this big, dangly, wrinkly ball bag (laughs) that I call my body, because my whole body has turned into a wrinkly ball bag. And those tattoos that ruin it. Yeah, it really takes the edge off. (laughs) Um, And also... Like, I would say maybe even 50% of people under 40 have tattoos now. Maybe. Like, it's that high how many people have tattoos. You don't sound very certain. I don't, I'm not very <laughs> certain, but a lot of people. So, you're going to be amongst a load of 80 year olds with tattoos. Mm. Yeah, by then it'll be cool. And you'll be going to kids, you're going to regret it not getting a tattoo. <laughs> Think how stupid you'll look when you're 80, all wrinkly and tattooless. <laughs> you little ball bag. <laughs> I'm just Googling percentage of millennials I'm going to look up with tattoos. That's the top search. Well, higher or lower? I'm saying 50, 50 plus, Liam. What are you saying? is a higher or lower game to us. I, th- I think it's less than 50. I don't believe it's more than 50. What did you say? You said more. He said less yeah. than 50. So close. 47%. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a lot higher than I was expecting. Yeah. 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 15% of millennials have five or more pieces of body art. Mm, is that what you call them? According to the it's... Wall Street Journal. I've got a quote from a writer, but maybe we should think of a name first. Or maybe I'll use this writer's name. Go on then, yeah. <laughs> as the name. Is it me or does everyone, and maybe as a tattooed person, my view is skewed on this. But is it me or is everyone who slags off tattoos and has an angry rant and says, I hate tattoos and stuff, sound kind of jealous and insecure about it? Like, they're kind of saying, they're kind of lashing out at tattoos rather than it's something they genuinely that often? don't like. I, I don't really talk to people about tattoos much. My mother-in-law, 
hates tattoos. Right. But she wouldn't have a rant about it. She's just kind of turned her nose up. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people do, yeah. I had a conversation once with someone at work when I was joining the company as a graduate years ago. We met an executive, all the grads, and she was going... And I didn't even have any tattoos then, I don't think. But she was... People were talking about tattoos and she said, why would you want to get tattoos? She was American. She was like, why would you want to get tattoos? One day you'll be a manager of people. And how are you going to explain why you've got tattoos to them? I was like, why would I have to explain why I've got tattoos to my employees? Like, they're not going to respect me. (laughs) I'm not listening to you, boss. You've got tattoos. Everybody conference room. I've got something to tell you. Um, But anyway, here's a rant, Liam. Truman Capote. So we're calling this person Truman. Truman Show. Yep. Truman Capote of The Truman Show (laughs) said, there's something really the matter with people who wear tattoos. There's at least some terrible story. I know from experience that there's always something terribly flawed about people who are tattooed. Above some little something that Johnny had done in the Navy, even though that's a bad sign, it's terrible. Psychologically, it's crazy. Most people who are tattooed, it's the sign of some feeling of inferiority. They're trying to establish some macho identification for themselves. Checks out. Doesn't that sound to you like Truman Capote was was insecure (laughs) about it? Like self-hating people. Well, well, people with tattoos are shit, so I didn't even want one. Fucking idiot, Truman. (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to steal the show here. And since I started with a quote, I'm going to start with my example as well. And it might be the most obvious one you can think of. What's a book with... Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Yep. <laughs> By Steve Larson. Aaron Googled books about tattoos and it was the first one that came up. <laughs> Have you read these? I've read the first one, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I didn't like it, so I didn't continue. I did like it. I've yeah, people all... are mad about yeah, them. I've they? been Some trying people. to read this book for about three years, and I just can't get into it. Yeah, it's just, it's hard work for me, it was, so I didn't... But as I say, some people absolutely love them, and they just can't get enough. Yeah, well, I, I'm not in that camp, but I've read all three. No, Carl, <laughs> it's either you love it and you can't get enough, or you hated it. <laughs> I loved it and I couldn't get enough. Well, I didn't read the last one that his son finished off or something. The one that yeah, you know, someone else wrote it, didn't it? Oh, mm. it was, I thought it was completely written by someone else, but no, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> Nobody knows. <laughs> it's one of life's mysteries. <laughs> so yeah, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Tattoos are such a big part of Elizabeth Salander's life that they made it all the way into the title of the book. (laughs) And as someone who who has read Girl with the Dragon Tattoo will know, she is brilliant. And her tattoos didn't hold her back, did they? No. They were on her back though, weren't they? (laughs) (laughs) They were on her back, but they didn't hold her back. (laughs) If anything, her back held them. (laughs) (laughs) The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is about... um, I'll kind of... (laughs) I didn't do this in advance and I should have. I wanted to like make it a one sentence blurb because... Isn't it about a girl with a dragon tattoo? (laughs) (laughs) It's quite a long book and I kind of wanted to just make it a little thing like a two sentence summary or something because the plot isn't relevant to what I'm saying. I'm just saying that this character was a brilliant person who achieves everything she wants to because she's so driven and smart. And her tattoos didn't hold her back. 
but I didn't do that in advance. So just take it from me, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and I have read this one, as I say, so you really can take it from me. <laughs> Who's next? <laughs> Is that literally what you're going to say? <laughs> the, film, the film was quite good with Daniel Craig and... Yeah. And I think it was David Fincher as well, wasn't it? Mm, yeah. Directed. Um, who we gushed about a few episodes yeah, ago. Yeah, friend of the show. Friend of the show, David Fincher. He's going to direct the film of the show. <laughs> Agony art. <laughs> so, if you think of the most obvious book, you, you you know, I did a similar thing and thought of what's the most obvious film. So you went with The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I went with The Empire Strikes Back, 1980. Directed by um, Irvin Kirshner. Um. <laughs> the Empire Strikes Back, did you say? <laughs> yeah. Who's got a tattoo in that? Tatooine. <laughs> Very good, uh, Liam. <laughs> Very good. Um, no, I've gone down the route of pushy parents trying to force their views on you. Mm. Um, and probably the most famous line in the Star Wars saga or in film in general is, Luke, I am your father. As Darth Vader reveals himself as Luke Skywalker's father. Oh, spoilers. Fucking <laughs> hell. As Homer Simpson spoiled in The Simpsons. Um, and Luke says, No, that's impossible. <laughs> it's really terrible, his response, isn't it? I, can, I thought that was an impression of Ralph Wiggle. <laughs> I can never think of that My scene. My cat's name is Mittens. <laughs> I can never think of that scene without thinking about that um, internet animation. They did with the Star Wars rap. Do you remember it? And he was like, Obi-Wan would never bother telling you about your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. Well, there is something I must reveal then. I'm your father. I remember this. I'm your father. I remember that. I've never seen this. Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah. It's like, go to Deagle Bar as well. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah. So, Darth Vader is a pretty pushy parent. He, um, he stalks his son across the galaxy. Dad, get off my case. <laughs> he stalks his no. son across the galaxy. <laughs> Do your homework. <laughs> he stalks his son across the galaxy and sets a trap for him by holding his friends hostage and encasing one in carbonite. All to try and convince Luke to join him so they can rule the galaxy as father and son. Take over the family business. Mm. Well, the Sith rule of two, isn't it? So, Which is quite funny because if he, if he says yes... Then he becomes his apprentice, and that means they have to kill the Emperor. So maybe Luke should have done it for the kind of great good. Guys, I'm not really joining the dark side. It's just a ploy to kill the Emperor. Um, Luke says no, obviously, so he pounds him with his lightsaber. <laughs> this isn't the cinematic version you're talking about, is it? <laughs> this version I saw online. This is the Empire's got back. <laughs> Pound me with your lightsaber. <laughs> In my dark side. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> um, <laughs> he tries to convince him that his path is turning to the dark side, <laughs> but Luke refuses. And um, instead of joining him in the Empire Strikes Back, he just falls into a chasm in Cloud City. I don't know whether he thinks he might be like just killing himself, but. Um, he ends up at the bottom of the city and he gets saved by Leia and Hanso. No, not Hanso, he's in Carbonite. By Princess Leia and Chewbacca. And then in Return, <laughs> <laughs> in Return of the Jedi in 1983, Luke and Vader lock their laser swords again. <laughs> <laughs> again, you bought this copy off a man in a pub, didn't you? <laughs> 
um, in the final act of the trilogy. And um, this time Luke's trying to lure his father back to the light. And he says, if there is good in you, I know it. <laughs> and if there isn't, I'll put some good in you. <laughs> but Darth Sidious, or the evil emperor, he lashes Luke with his father. <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you write it like this intentionally? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make it a bit more, you know, like. He lashes Luke with his four force lightning. I am going to complete on your face. <laughs> and Luke pleads with his father to save him, which he eventually does, killing the Emperor. But by killing the Emperor, he also kills himself because the Emperor's force lightning goes all over him. <laughs> Everyone's covered in his false lightning. <laughs> oh my god. So Luke was right, there was good invader. And he managed to extract it from him. <laughs> Through unusual methods. <laughs> but where are you going with this? <laughs> well, if Luke was right and his father was wrong, then maybe <laughs> His daughter's right Maybe. And she should get a tattoo Your daughter should get a tattoo Truman <laughs> Exactly I'm glad you follow <laughs> That was the obvious that example You were right Carl <laughs> <laughs> In fact I think it's You should be ashamed of yourself For choosing it Because it's too obvious I know I'm sorry <laughs> Oh very good I don't know if I can follow that <laughs> Uh, well, one of the things I think I've learned in adulthood is that don't listen to Carl's film plots. No, uh, it's very difficult, I think, to learn from other people's mistakes, especially if they're trying to force that knowledge onto you. I think there's some things you just have to experience for yourself before you truly understand like what people are trying to tell you about it. Particularly when it comes to parents talking to their children. You know, sometimes they just don't want to listen. Mm. Bloody kids. <laughs> and I think... Cindy Lauper's 1983 hit, Girls Just Want to Have Fun, is a great example of this. This song, did you know, was originally recorded in 1979 by New Wave songwriter Robert Hazard and recorded by his band Robert Hazard and the Heroes. Of course we knew that. I think it's fair to say his version is practically unknown. <laughs> um, it's a bit of a shame because it's quite different. Um, and in the original, he's, it seems like he's saying he's finding it hard to settle down with a girl because all the girls he meets just want to have fun. And they don't want to stay with him, sort of thing. And <laughs> All these girls want to have fun. They don't want to be with me. <laughs> they don't want to be miserable with me. But it did, it did strike me as like a stereotypical new wave attitude. <laughs> um, but Lauper's version has quite a different tone. And she's basically saying, look, I just want to have fun. Leave it out, mum and dad. And that's the point I'm making. I think people need to be in a certain frame of mind to accept life advice, particularly from their parents. So Truman... I think you need to be careful about how you frame this if you want your daughter to listen at all. And even if they do listen, you need to prepare yourself for the fact that they might not agree with you and might not take the advice at all. Because, you know, she's her own person. She can do what she wants. She can make her own mistakes if, if indeed it is a mistake. Might not be. And that's it, really, from me. You could say that Truman's daughter should be saying to him, Papa, don't preach. I'm in... Or... What's, what's the words? I'm in a tattoo parlour. <laughs> Yeah, so we've, I we've, agree, Liam. You have to let your kids make their own mistakes, don't you? Yeah. And I we mean, say this wisely as two non-parents. Mm. So maybe <laughs> we're totally wrong. <laughs> What's your problem? 
There's no use trying to pretend you haven't got one The three of us are here To lend a friendly ear And help you out with all that strife That's lately marked your life Why not divulge it? You never know We may have tips that help you solve it We know it's unlikely But it's an impossibility If you don't share your problem On to problem three and our last problem this episode. I just got a new girlfriend. Well done, Liam. Thank you. Yeah, well done, but let's read out the problem. (laughs) My best mate is so jealous that I think he's trying to sabotage it. He says nasty things and then pretends he was joking. He says, I'm only joking. (laughs) (laughs) He arranges nights out. What a sexual girlfriend, are you joking? (laughs) Maybe we created this monster. (laughs) He arranges nights out and he doesn't invite her and he tries to make her jealous by constantly bringing up my exes. I know he probably feels like I've abandoned him and he's one of the last people in our friendship group still single, but we've all got to grow up and settle down at some point and I don't want him to ruin this for me. What should I do? That's bad for me, I'm sorry. Usually reading the problem is usually gospel. There's no, usually inter- is, no, yeah. no interruption, yeah. <laughs> our interruption of Liam has got to such a point that... <laughs> We can't even let him finish the problems. <laughs> when you listen back to the podcast, do you interrupt me then as well? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I'm editing it, I go... Shut up, Liam. <laughs> I'll stop it, go on a little tangent with myself. <laughs> so I think if the art is anything to go by, this type of jealousy happens quite a lot. But maybe this is indicative of my boring life. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like this. Have you two? I've known people who um, get very stroppy with their friends when they get boyfriends. Start acting like, oh, you've abandoned me. You're not even my friend anymore because you never see me. Mm. But maybe I'll come to this anyway, but I just think these people need to grow up. Mm. Just like, as he says in his letter to us, we've all got to grow up at some point. And you have to accept that your friends are going to meet people. They're not going to be able to hang around with you as much anymore. Yeah. I can't believe that adults have to be told that. No, and it's weird because our friendship group, like we see each other when we do this podcast pretty much, and maybe like a social probably once a quarter at most, but we're not any less friends. And but we've all kind of done that together. All mm. We all are quite content with we've got our daily lives. We're all friends still, and we meet up when it suits all of us, and we have a good laugh. Yeah. It's quite sad that some people have to like have teenage friendship but all the time still with adults. Yeah, exactly. You must see me within every couple of weeks or we're not friends anymore. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> it's quite easy. Skip one. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we should think of a name before oh, yeah, we point. go into art examples which say exactly what we've just said. <laughs> jealous friend. Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. She's, she's jealous of uh, Peter Pan and Wendy, isn't she? Is she? Yeah. In Hook, yeah. And she like, yeah, and she, well, in... Um, in Peter Pan as well. Yeah, she like sides with Hook at one point, didn't she? Well, should we call her Tink? Tink, yeah. Um, she tells Hook where the... She's played by Julia Roberts in Hook, yeah, isn't she? Dreadful, yeah. yeah. Well, we love it, don't we? But she's dreadful with it. <laughs> Is she? I'm going to have to watch that film again to remind myself of oh, it. Hook. I haven't seen it for years. Yeah. This reminded me of a relative... No, not relatively recent. This song is seven years old. I couldn't believe this. I feel really old these days. Every time I look up a song, I'm like, 
How old is this? How is this song this old? Well, you're just 32. Try yeah. being 33. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Carl's been through it all. <laughs> Look, this reminded me of a Nick Jonas song from 2014, apparently, called Jealous. You know this one? Still get jealous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's really about a jealous lover, but I think it rings true for Tink's friend. Uh, in this song, Nick Jonas sings... You're too fucking beautiful and everybody wants a taste. I don't think that was in the radio edit, but that's what he sings. And that's why I still get jealous. And this sounds like your friend to me, Tink. He's acting like a jealous lover. And when you think about it, it's really a testament to how highly he regards you. Like Nick Jonas, he thinks you're brilliant and everybody wants a piece of you. And that's why he's jealous. So my advice here is pretty simple. It's short and sweet. It's, uh, we're going back to classic agony art advice. Sit down, have a chat. <laughs> Tell him you're still friends and you're not going to walk out of his life because that's probably what he's afraid of. And like or we say... maybe you hit on it earlier. Maybe Tink's friend is actually jealous of the relationship. Ooh. Secretly had a crush on Tink all this time. I mean, Tink's pretty special. She can fly. Yeah. And she can give other people the power to fly. Oh, shit. I'm going a slightly different direction. Um, 2009, I Love You Man. Anyone seen this? Directed by John Hamburg. It rings a bell, I don't know. It's, yeah, like, it's got um, a famous comedy actor in it, hasn't it's, it? It's uh, Paul Rudd. Yes. Um, what's the other guy called? Uh, Jason Siegel. All right. It's like that kind of film, do you know? It's half like? Seagull, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> 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 That's why every line is just... Game <laughs> <laughs> <Keep> of wonders. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's one of those kind of Judd Apatow-esque mm. comedies. I think they were called the Frat Something Pack, pack weren't they? Yeah, I was about to say, it was on the tip of my tongue, yeah. So Peter, Paul Rudd, Peter, Paul Rudd. <laughs> Peter, Paul Rudd. <laughs> Peter, played by Paul Rudd, proposes to his girlfriend, um, played by... Peter, Peter, played by Paul Rudd, proposes... <laughs> <laughs> with a peck of pickled peppers. <laughs> What's his girlfriend's name? <laughs> Piper <laughs> <laughs> proposes to Piper with a peck of pick for <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I actually do that quite seamlessly as well, yeah. which is strange for me. Now you're thinking about it, you it's won't be able to say it again. Thinking, yeah. <laughs> Peter, played by Paul Rudd, proposes to his girlfriend, <laughs> uh, played by Rashida Jones, and her name's Zoe, but it's spelled Z O O E Y. Zoe. Did you know Rashida Jones is Quincy Jones's daughter? You've said that before, We've had I think. This, yeah. yeah, I think it was in our WhatsApp group, not on the oh, podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Another agony art fact. <laughs> um, Brought to you by WhatsApp. <laughs> if you'd like to be involved in the agony art WhatsApp group, you can join our Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine that? Yes. There'll be like three people in it. <laughs> Us. <laughs> Paying for our own Patreon subscription. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he proposes to Zooey. Mm. And um, then he thinks, I've got to appoint the best man. But he realises he's got no male friends at all. He's got acquaintances, but usually through other people. But he's got no actual friends. Um, and he spends most of his time with Zoe and her friends. So he tries various things um, to like find a friend, like almost auditions people, or just spends time with random men in his life to see if they get their uh, best man material. He tries to impress Barry, which is Zoe's best friend's husband, um, with a beer drinking contest, but he throws up all over him. He's played by John Favreau and doesn't like him anyway. So that doesn't go well. 
Um, he almost gives up, but he meets Sydney, played by Jason Siegel, at an open house because Peter's in real estate and he's trying to sell Lou Ferrigno's house. Hulk. The Hulk, exactly. Oh. So Lou Ferrigno's having an open house, trying to invite people. Sydney turns up. He says he just likes to go see these things to meet divorced women. Nice guy. And they have a lot in common, including a love for the band Rush. Um, they start spending a lot of time together and they become good friends and things happen in a short, very very short space of time and predictably Zoe doesn't like Peter Peter's attention be diverted so she's like you need male friends but then when he gets a male friend she's like oh you don't spend a lot of time with me nah. <laughs> um, so Peter ends up ending his relationship with Sydney Oof. because it's, you know in the things happen like he lends Sid- they've only known each other a couple of weeks and Sydney's like can you lend me eight grand and he's mm. like Okay then. So you're <laughs> you're led to think he's a bit of a con artist, but he actually spends that eight grand on billboards to help Peter sell Lou Frigno's place. And he does do it, he gets loads of other leads as well. Turns out he doesn't need money because he's a a good investor and he's got loads of money himself. Um so they repair the relationship. Zoe ends up phoning Sydney and says, Look, he's a bit sad about you, can you come and be best man? He's already on the way to the wedding on a Vesper at this point. So he ends up at the wedding. Lou Frigno's in also one of the best men at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and he becomes yeah. he performs his best man duties. So the advice is um, twofold. You've got options here. A, you and your friend seek a third band member, audition, go and find another friend to kind of share the attention. Or B... You basically want to make... This friend, the new friend's problem, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or okay. B, just tell your mate to find a new friend himself. <laughs> I think so far I'd probably go with Liam's advice more because that was sensible. Talk, Sit down and talk to him about it. Tell him the problem rather than... <laughs> rather we, than we tell him to fuck sen- off. <laughs> <laughs> we veered off Sensible a very long time ago, though. I'm strangely bringing it back. He's bringing Sensible back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> These other boys don't know how to act. <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to not be Sensible as well with you, Carl. Yes. <laughs> um, I've recently read... The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage. And in this book, Phil and George are brothers who run a ranch given to them by their parents, who've retired from ranching and moved to Salt Lake City. And they're very different brothers. Phil is rugged, tall, intelligent, proud, and he prides himself on being a very macho man. He's got... <laughs> he has a bath once a month, which he's very proud of. Oh, <laughs> yeah. What a man. Oh, I'm not a man if I don't stink. (laughs) He never wears gloves so that his hands are all rough and calloused. And he rarely does anything as vain as cutting his hair or changing for dinner. So he's a bit of a dick, really. He's loud and he's brash and he always shares his opinion. And he kind of... It's not only that he doesn't mind if people take offence to it. He actually takes pleasure in offending people by being too honest and, you know, sharing his nasty opinions whereas George the other brother is stocky short quiet and a bit of a slow learner and where Phil is quick to judge and he likes to be cruel George is very slow at making decisions and he considers people's feelings and normally when Phil has offended someone George kind of reassures them afterwards and you know calms them down 
He's nowhere near as physically capable or intelligent as Phil, but he's far more likeable out of the two brothers. Anyway, they've been single forever, and they're like 38 and 40, I think. And they're so used to being single brothers that live in the house that they grew up in that they still share a bedroom. They just sleep, you know, in two single beds in the same bedroom. But one day, George meets a widow in town called Rose and falls head over heels in love and marries her before Phil knows it. Some money-grabbing woman, he reckons, because they're very rich, these ranchers, has moved into his house and he's furious, so he makes it his mission to destroy her. But there's something he doesn't count on. Her son. Phil initially thinks he's a sissy, which is Phil's word for him. He bathes twice a month. (laughs) He regularly bathes, reads books, and he's never ridden a horse. What a sissy. But then he comes up with a plan. He thinks he can hurt Rose by taking the kid under his wing and, you know, becoming friends with him. But he doesn't realise that this quiet, intelligent, and he's quite a cold kid. Like, he seems a bit weird. I think he's doing taxidermy in his room. (laughs) Yeah, he'll skin animals and um, stuff them in his room. And that's... All you taxidermists out there, I'm not saying that's weird. (laughs) It's just when your kid's quite cold and he's doing that of his own volition in his bedroom, I think most people would be a little bit put off by that. Is there Mm. something wrong with my kid? Picking up dead animals all the time. Anyway, so what he doesn't count on is that this kid is on to him. He taxidermies him. (laughs) He knows what he's up to. So this kid, when Phil starts to take him under his wing, actually sucks up to Phil and acts like he's really impressed with his teachings. All with a plan to get revenge on his mother's behalf. Now, if you don't want this book spoiled for you, listeners, I would press the plus 30 second button now to skip this. Spoiler! (laughs) This kid works out a way to get anthrax into Phil's system and kills him. Oh my god. (laughs) Get ill. (laughs) Now, in this story, George was too scared to stand up to Phil. The quiet brother was too scared to stand up to his brash, rude, nasty brother. And the fact that he was being a dickhead to his brother's new wife was obvious, but George did nothing because he was too meek and too slow to action. And if he had had the guts to fix it, then his brother wouldn't have come to such harm. I'm trying not to spoil it again. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I only pressed plus 30 once. Now, I'm not going to suggest that someone, if you don't take action, is going to come and kneecap your friend for you. (laughs) (laughs) But I am saying that what you should do is what George couldn't and have a word with your friend before something extreme happens. Like, for example, probably closer to the truth, your girlfriend leaving you because your best mate's being a bellend. (laughs) Sit your best mate down and say, look, you're ruining a good thing for me here. By being a prick. So stop being a prick. That is genuinely good advice. Thanks. I came up with it all on my own. <laughs> with the help of a book. So we're basically saying have a chat, apart from Carl, who says try and offload him onto someone else or tell him <laughs> to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got three options there. Yeah. Have a chat, offload him, fuck him off. Yeah. No good options. Mm. It's not terrible. I did have one wrap-up point, actually. For mm. change, uh, I've recently listened to the Flight of the Concords radio show because it's on Audible. I thought I'd 
give it a mm. go because I've got all these credits that I haven't used in ages. Mm. And uh, and this reminded me of one of the episodes. You've seen the TV show, haven't you? I think they did it on the TV show. Yep. Um, where <laughs> Brett, who's one half of the band, gets a girlfriend, and Jermaine, who's the other half of the band, starts inviting himself on all their dates. Yeah. And when they tell him that they actually want to go on a date without him, he gets really upset. Uh, there's a point in the radio show where the, his manager asks Jermaine what, what Brett's girlfriend's like. And he goes, you know, Yoko Ono, she's a bit like her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in that case, the band do split up over it. Uh, but eventually they get back together. And I was wondering if the lesson there maybe was if the friendship is a strong one, then nothing will truly keep you apart. But they do get together at the expense of the relationship. So, <laughs> so still not very encouraging yeah, for Tinkerbell. Maybe you're not going to be too happy about that, Tink. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's probably all we've got time for today. So before we wrap it up for the day, Aaron, what is the one piece of art that you would recommend from today? Uh, mine would be The Power of the Dog by Thomas Savage. I know that, as I said, I recently read it, and that's probably why I'm recommending it, because it's freshest in my mind. But it was... On its own, a very good book. Cool. Really tough between Wally and Empire Strikes Back, isn't it? Um, but I'm going to go Empire Strikes Back. <gasps> Should have been Wally. Because it's great. <laughs> Wally's great as well. Yeah. I'm going to be very obscure this week and say, why not listen to Robert Hazard's version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun? Because it's a little bit different and you've probably heard the other one loads of times. Girls yeah. oh, Just Want to Have Fun. <laughs> Oh, you have heard it. <laughs> I'm assuming it's just like that. <laughs> so that's about all we got time for this week. As always, I would like to thank our resident agony uncles, Aaron, Carl. Thank you very much. No problem, mate. Anytime. You are welcome, Liam. Yeah, just phone me. And thank you, listeners, for listening. No problem, mate. <laughs> just let us know when you've got an episode out. We'll listen to it. Our, our single listener is in the studio today. <laughs> I've rated you five stars. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. <laughs> As always, check out the episode notes or agonyartpodcast.com to find links to all the media we mentioned today and for a link to the Agony Art Spotify playlists where you can listen to all of the songs we've ever mentioned. <gasps> if you, and if you have a problem that you'd like us to attempt to solve, you can actually reach out to us on our group Instagram and Twitter accounts at Agony Art Podcast or even on the submissions page on our website. We'll be back next week with more problems to muddle our way through and more entertainment for you to check out. And we will see you then. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) But I'd suggest keep it light because their advice can be shite and they won't be held liable. Oh no, not at all. Not here. Any art.